Well, friends, as you know, we are doing a series this summer called Suggest a Sermon. And many of you submitted ideas and questions, things that you were hoping that one of the pastoral staff would talk about. Very timely this week, a member of the Faith family asked about how should we handle grief and loss. Um, I think the way it was actually worded was what, what should we expect uh, when it comes to grief and loss, and we'll talk about that this morning. We're going to do so by looking at a story that is pretty familiar to a lot of folks, but I want to look at it in a new way. It's John chapter 11, so you'll see it up on the screen in a little bit, um, or you can follow along in your pew Bible. Let me pray for us, and we'll study the word together. Gracious God, thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Years ago, before I had kids of my own, I came across a book called How to Bury a Goldfish and 113 Other Rituals for Everyday Family Life. And I thought that title was pretty intriguing because I grew up in a certain generation that learned from a certain show that really there's only one way to bury a goldfish. So I want you to take a look at how I learned how to bury a goldfish. Focus on the character, not the actor. Was a good fish, happy and brave. I always felt safe with him around. Daddy? Yes, dear? I want to watch television. Yeah. Well, see, we're having a funeral for your friend. Nobody is going to watch TV until the funeral is over. Is that clear? If she doesn't want the funeral, maybe we shouldn't have it. We got dressed up for this. Rudy! Forgive her, please. He's talking to the... Hey! Don't you want to say goodbye to Lamont? Well, Daddy didn't say goodbye to us. The only one who wants this funeral is you. You have forced this on all of us. I forced it on all of us. Yes. Ah, and and you love this. This. Huh? Oh, this makes you very happy, does it? No. Yes, you are happy. My husband has gone crazy. But honey, it's ridiculous. What is ridiculous? Look at you spinning a dress and holding the over the. And you were a good fish. And nobody cares. And meanwhile, there's a woman lying in the hospital waiting for you to come deliver the baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lamont. <laughs> oh, you've come back for the funeral, huh? No, I want some privacy. <laughs> you want to talk to Lamont by yourself? No, I want to use the bathroom. <laughs> It turns out that just as every one of us is unique and different in our approach, our response to death, to dying, to loss, and to grief is going to be just as unique as every person in this room. And that's true for the loss of a goldfish 
just as much as it is for the loss of a person. The story that we're going to study today is a story that's going to give us three different yet faithful perspectives on how we as people of faith might work through times of grief and loss in our own lives. In the Bible story, if we were to go chronologically, we would start off with Martha. So it's not a misprint the way that I have it written in your bulletin this morning, because I actually want to start with Mary on this. So we'll start at verse 28. When Martha had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. When she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Followers of Jesus typically do not hesitate to run to Jesus in times of trial and trouble. We tend to say to those in need, I'll pray for you. Well, who are you going to pray to? We go to Jesus. We run to Jesus when our world is falling apart. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up and quickly go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So here comes Mary, and she's running towards Jesus. She loves Jesus. She knows Jesus. She's built a rapport with him. This is not their first meeting. Mary, Martha, and her brother Lazarus, who has just died, had a close relationship with Jesus. He was truly their friend. They believed in him. They took him at his word that he was the Son of God. But Mary is hurting, and she's frustrated, and she's fully angry at this point. And she falls down at Jesus' feet, and the first thing that she says is, Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I want you to notice that, that all social etiquette has been thrown out of the window. There's, there's no Mary going up to Jesus going, Hello, Jesus. How are you? She just runs up to Jesus and she launches her complaint. This is a very different Mary than the Mary that most of us know. Most of us know the Mary who is the one that, that rushes out and she sits at the feet of Jesus while Martha, Martha, the one that we always villainize, is back in the kitchen not paying attention to Jesus. So what happened to this Mary? This Mary that, that, that just loves Jesus all the time, this kind and patient and gentle Mary. Well, one of the first things that you have to understand about grief and loss is that it changes a person. It always changes them. You may know someone who has been strong and solid and kind and compassionate their whole lives long. And then they go and they suffer a great loss. They might become a completely different person for a while, for a long time, and in some cases, forever. Because see, grief and loss change us. And that's true not only when it comes to death, but in every major life transition. If you lose a job and you lose your financial stability... 
if your marriage changes, if there is a break in relationship, there is a loss that comes with that. And with loss comes grief. Now Mary's anger and frustration is rooted in that kind of loss. She just lost her brother, someone that she loved and cared deeply about. There's a social issue to consider because as far as we know, Mary and Martha weren't married at this point. Their parents are not around. So this is the last male of social standing, which in their culture was a very important thing. And from a place of grief and not knowing where else to place any blame, she lashes out at Jesus. If you know someone in your life who is experiencing grief, you need to know that in those early stages of grief, there is anger and there is frustration and that your loved one is going to have to find a way to get that out. And sometimes getting that out might mean being vented on to you. And I hope you'll realize, in light of hearing today's story, that, that if you get vented on, if you get lashed out at, you're in good company. Because Mary went to Jesus. Sometimes when loss occurs, our, our gut instinct is to assume that God has abandoned us, that God no longer cares about our situation. In this story, Jesus not only did not abandon Mary and Martha, he came to them. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then you hit verse 35. It's the one verse of the Bible that just about everyone knows. This translation says Jesus began to weep, but it's even shorter than that. Jesus wept. Sometimes we faithful folks mishandle our own grief and the grief of others by thinking that faith and tears can't possibly mix. A sturdy faith in God and, and a firm belief in the promise of life eternal, we reason, should keep us from weeping or or giving way to grief. But grief is not a denial of our faith. Jesus, Jesus, God wept. Jesus wept. Those two words speak volumes about Jesus' inner feelings and his willingness to express his grief. Seeing the tears trickling down his cheeks, Friends and family remarked, See? See how he loved him? He who remains history's greatest and most complete person stood at the graveside of a good friend and wept. In that one incident, Jesus, with his tears, destroyed the notion that big boys don't cry. Christians who believe that tears are incompatible with faith have probably also misunderstood what the Apostle Paul wrote to the people at Thessalonica. To those who had lost their loved ones, he explained, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, or to grieve like the rest of men who have 
no hope. Unfortunately, some, some of our reading these words, we have struggled with bad grief because we leave off that last part. We leave off the last part that says, do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Can you imagine what it must be like to not believe in the resurrection? To not believe that there is something better than this life, that there is a place of peace that is created for us by a loving God. To be in that place, for those who do not believe, is indeed a hopeless situation because there is nothing else. And so Paul is saying, it's not, it's not that you should not grieve. By all means, grieve. But don't do it as those without hope because we've got something better coming. Grief is an emotion. It's like love, fear, guilt, or anger, or possibly all of them mixed together. And our faith does not provide us an immunity from emotion. It would be just as futile to deny grief as it would be to deny laughter. But rather, Paul is telling his Christian friends not to grieve as the unbelievers do who possess no hope. Our faith, our faith can keep grief from overwhelming us. But God rewards no crowns because we refuse to weep. So while some handled their grief with weeping, there were others that had questions. They wanted to know, is, is this resurrection business really possible? Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, verse 38, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, practical Martha, said, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upwards and he said, Father, I thank you. I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that, that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, and his hands and his feet were bound with strips of cloth, and his face was wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I think that belief is one of the hardest parts of grief to wrestle with. Because we say that we believe. We say that, right? That's why most of us are here, because we, we say that we believe. But when it comes to our loved ones, people who've been a part of our life day in, day out, we want to see the glory of God. The promise of Jesus is that we will one day see that glory. And so we have to hold that intention with wanting to ease the pain of our very present, very real situation, our very immediate loss, with this promise of a future resurrection. So I think it's really important for us to understand how even for believers, doubt can creep in at times like this. And it's even more important that fellow believers be willing to carry the faith 
of their friends and loved ones in those initial days and weeks of grief. We need each other. We need each other to carry each other. So we looked at how Mary handled her grief, but in the scriptures, the first one to really encounter Jesus during this time was Martha. And so if you back up to John chapter 11, verse 17, you're going to see how Martha comes at this a little bit differently. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him while Mary stayed home. Nobody ever points that out when they tell the story of Mary and Martha. It's always Martha's the one. Martha's the one that stayed behind. She didn't go to Jesus. But remember, there's another story. And in this story, Martha goes. And so Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But, this is where Martha's a little different than Mary, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. To which Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And even though they die, those who believe in me will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now watch Martha respond. Yes. Yes, Lord. I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When you look at Martha's story as opposed to Mary's story, you have, you have a seemingly on the surface much calmer, more rational story. Mary rushes out quickly. Martha walks out peacefully to meet Jesus. Both are angry. They express that anger in a different way. Both have underlying questions for Jesus. But Martha, always much more practical than her sister, was looking for a way to fix the situation. Sometimes grief manifests itself in, in hyper-organization or overthinking the details, right? There's always somebody who says, let me talk to the doctor. I want to talk to those nurses. If they're just doing this better, if the hospital would do this, if the nursing home would do this, if the funeral home would do this. Let me tell you where that comes from. That comes from a place of knowing that death is not something that we can control. So there's this great powerlessness that comes over us when our loved ones or family or friend a family or friend dies. And for some folks, the only way that they can carry their grief is by suggesting and, and often acting upon some sort of organizational remedy that, that they think is going to change things after the fact. In Martha's case, she's already hatched up a plan. Her plan is that Jesus would just simply pray to God and fix the whole situation. It is interesting it is interesting that Jesus doesn't immediately comply. When they finally get to, to Lazarus' tomb, Martha's practical side kicks in again. Now remember, a few short verses ago, Martha's got this plan. Jesus is going out there. He's going to pray. Lazarus is going to be fine. But when the rubber met the road, and they're all standing there at the tomb, it's Martha who says, hold up. He's been buried for four days. 
there is going to be a stench. That statement betrays Martha's words. She says that she believes in the resurrection, at least as this abstract concept that might happen one day in the future. But when she's faced with its immediate reality, Martha is kind of unsure that she wants to open up that tomb. Sometimes in grief, we think that all we have to do is, is say all the right words because that's what people expect of us, especially if they know that we're followers of Jesus. If you watch closely when people have a viewing, when they have a memorial service, somebody, somebody who, who means well, who's trying to do the right thing, will come up to a person in grief and they'll say, How you doing? How you doing? And what does the person reply every single time? I'm okay. I'm okay. And we say that, we say that because we think that's the right thing to say. And you know that the person who asked the question is like, oh, thank God. Because if we didn't say okay, then what are they going to say? What are they going to say? And so we, we pretend, when it comes to grief, we pretend that we're all okay. As long as we keep saying that, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, then we don't actually have to acknowledge the heaviness of the burden that we carry. Martha said all the right things, didn't she? She said all the right things. But it was obvious that on the inside, she was struggling to convince herself of the truth. And this is why, again, we need to be around other believers, why we need the fellowship of the church community, because there are going to be times and seasons in all of our lives where our faith will come under pressure, and we will carry that struggle thinking, thinking that we need to hide it, when in, we, when in reality what we discover are that there are those around us who have been there, who have carried it during seasons of their lives as well. I have met so many people who experience a loss and are convinced that they are alone in their grief because it appears like the whole rest of the world has just moved on. Well, that's not necessarily a reality. It's just that we've gotten so used to saying that we're all okay that we just figure as long as we've got the right words in the right moment, everybody's all right. But let me tell you this. It is okay. It is more than okay to say to your church family, the people who love you, who want God's best for you, to say, I'm hurting, and I'm struggling, and I'm even doubting, please, please carry me. And friends, it's our responsibility to do that, to carry each other. It's that moment. It's that moment when Martha, the, the one who is initially handling it all so well, hears those words that we have to constantly be reminded of. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. 
Grief is not easily categorized. It's very hard, especially in 20 minutes, to give a broad view of what we might expect when someone is going through the grieving process. But here's what I can tell you. Between Pastor Sung, Pastor Reed, myself, in the last five years, we've done over 200 memorial services. So from that perspective... Let me tell you the the few things that you can expect. There's going to be flashes of Mary. There's going to be moments of Martha. There are going to be tears like the ones that Jesus shed and probably all sorts of variations in between. Here's the good news. For Mary, for Martha, and for us, one truth, one truth remains. It does not change. It does not vary by situation. The one thing that you can expect, the one thing that you can believe in, the one thing that you can count on is Jesus. Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and life, and all who believe in me will never die. So hear me. Hear me on this. It is okay to be angry. It is okay to have doubts. It's okay to try to practically micromanage every situation for a while, and it's more than okay to weep. But one day, one day for all who believe, there will come a moment when the promise of the resurrection once again will become a heart reality. And when that conviction overtakes your heart and overcomes your mind, the joy of the Lord will return to your life in a powerful way. And that peace that passes all understanding, that will be yours forever. To God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.